we're going to be talking today about the many faces of tarot, which I'm very excited to discuss. And I've got my two decks here. Um, if you want to grab your decks, you're more than welcome to. Um, I did that sort of last minute as well. But I've got my decks here because one of the main things that we're going to talk about is the way that artwork influences um, the meaning of tarot and not only the meaning, but also our ability to receive the meaning. Um, and so it's really interesting to look at, you know, all the various decks you have and see what does each card look like across the decks you have and how do you connect with it in a certain way. And um, there's no one better to talk about this than Alisa and Megan, who we have here today. So if you would please put your hands together, either virtually or physically, for Alisa and Megan of Coventry. Yeah, uh, so good to be here. Um, yeah, my name's my Megan Castro. Maybe you can see it on the thing. Um, I'm the artist and designer for Coventry, um, partnered with Alisa. And um, I don't know, a little, I'm going to say a little fun fact about myself. Um, I love, for fun, drawing dinosaurs, astronauts, and aliens. It's a little different from my traditional art practice. Um, but it's what I love and enjoy doing on, like, the reg, how I, how I wind down in the day. And I'm Elisa, and I'm the editor and, I guess, the writer of Coventry. Um, and my fun fact is that I'm also a personal trainer and a professional tarot reader and a journalist because I can't pick one hat. Um, so, uh, with that said, we could probably jump into this because you guys probably want to get started. <laughs> oh yeah, so today we're going to be talking about, uh, the ways in which art can change and influence the ways we interpret the cards. Um, while there are several, several different systems of tarot, we're going to be focusing on the Rider-Waite-Smith version. So, even though that's where we're starting with the interpretations, that's not necessarily where we're going to end today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so viewing art in tarot is much the same as viewing art in the real world. And I think we've all been to the High Museum or maybe a similar art museum. And the art there might have left you guessing, confused, and with more questions than answers. And not only has that happened to me as a reader looking at a new deck or even just as an artist in a gallery, but I can't tell you, like, the first time when I opened the Star Spinner Tarot and I was going through the deck and I got to the Three of Pentacles, I completely forgot all previous knowledge of the Three of Pentacles. That card did not connect with me at all. I couldn't even imagine what it looked like in the Rider-Waite-Smith version, and it completely threw me for a loop, and I knew that right there there was major work to be done with that card in that deck. And I feel that sometimes, you know, when we're looking at cards, we all might have those similar uh, experiences when we first pick up a new deck and we're trying to figure out whether or not it's for us. And But the opposite can also be said for when you're really vibing with a deck or a piece of art. And I love those moments when I can look at a card and I just get it. And like I'm tapping into some unseen connection through my intuition. And I mean, that's, that's no greater feeling than when, you know, you just pick up a deck that you just opened or maybe one that you're getting off the shelf uh, that you haven't looked at in a, first month, in a few months. And you're looking at it with fresh eyes and new perspective and you finally are able to find that wisdom within the ink. So um, I've always kind of thought that the art of a tarot card is pretty important when it comes to the interpretation. I mean, like witchcraft and spell work are a collection of symbols. Uh, so I just feel like including the art in the interpretation is just a natural extension of that. So I may not always agree with the way that a concept is portrayed in a card, but I do feel like a reading is a reading is deepened by like having that knowledge of the artist's intent. You know, if there's a booklet provided or at least just taking time to consider like why is this being portrayed in this way? 
So one card <laughs> that sets a lot of people off immediately is the devil. There's a lot of different ways we can look at these, uh, you know, a lot of different ways that it's being interpreted here. Um, but I think Megan has something she'd like to say about the neon moon in particular. Yeah, so I'm just gonna zoom in on a couple cards here. And when we first look at the devil, some of the things that we might think about and concepts that we keep in mind associated with this card is temptation, restriction, overwhelm, and loss of control. And so when we think about those concepts, and I look at the neon moon terrace specifically, I see these two figures, they're bound and they're suspended in like these BDSM type ropes by like this central figure who at first glance, like it looks like this figure has all the control here. However, when you think of like, to me, these are obvious BDSM type ropes, there's consent involved in that. And so at any point, these characters can kind of take back the power dynamic and what's happening here. And so if there's like a loss of control or a feeling of overwhelm or, or something that's in regard to like a question in this card and I pull it, like this one right here is where it's like, no, like you actually are able to take your own power back for yourself. The power that might be over you could just be an illusion. Versus when I look at the Star Spinner Tarot, you see this gorgeous central figure here. Um, They're like this angel, maybe a devil Lucifer type character. And the people in the background, they're kind of faded away. They're definitely not the center of this card. They're also, they're bound by chains, a lot of them going in a lot of different directions. And so there's definitely like a chaos associated to this loss of control. It could be unexpected, but because also this, this devil character is the central figure and we have people who are faded away. To me, there's definitely like a distraction. Like you might not even be aware of the loss of control that's happened in your life. Yeah, and like the loss of control, I feel like is big in the devil card. If we look at the traditional writer myth, we can see that man and the woman who are facing the uh, reader are chained by something that they're not even recognizing, right? The woman has a tale of grapes, which is usually a reference to some type of alcoholism or another type of addiction. And the man has a tale of fire, which is another reference to addiction. So we have these things where it's like, maybe it's these excesses or these indulgences that are actively hurting them, but they're not necessarily recognizing the negative repercussions just yet. And if we cut to the cat tarot, which is a little bit different and fun, and I love this deck, um, we can see like, the chains here are replaced with a leash. And so we know now that the dog itself isn't the devil, the owner is. And so when you think about that, there's never a problematic dog. It's a problematic owner. They didn't train the dog. But in this case, the dog is performing a trick. So we have to say like, you know, what is the effect of this? You know, and it could be referring to someone being controlled by somebody else. Um, and then if we cut to the Sasserabito Tarot, which is the last card, this is the most confrontational devil card, and I absolutely love it. I usually interpret this as just it being a full-on mirror. Like, you are the problem. Just admit it. There's no one else in this room right now to blame. We got to be real. Um, and then if we look at it on a bigger scale, the creator of the Sasserai Vito Tarot is an Asian woman, right? And we have this, this white man as the devil. And so now we have to look at this in terms of like colonialism, you know, racism. There's a lot of different layers to this. And it's just by 
taking into account the art that we can actually fully begin to understand it. So there's another card that sets a lot of people off, especially when they're coming to tarot from organized religion, um, and that is the Hierophant. Um, so Hierophant, Hierophant, we're all there, right? <laughs> but this usually stands for, you know, education, institution, higher knowledge. Um, and I think Megan wants to start with the Wanderer's Tarot. Yeah, so we're going to zoom in on a couple more cards here. Um, and so when you think about these concepts of education, institution, and higher knowledge, and when I see the Wanderer's Tarot, I see this figure here. They're standing on a stool. They have they're elevated in their status right now. Maybe they've elevated themselves. It's a little disheveled. Um, when you look at it, they're definitely like the gatekeeper who was like ushering you into this, this unknown world, this void. But also, you want to look at it, they're also, the stool that they're on is also on top of that veil. And so they're kind of letting you in here, but it's, it's definitely controlled. Like they are the ones who are saying you're just going to get this mud. And so when you think about, you know, having like those concepts and like higher education stuff, this might be a teacher or something that's going to really hold your hand through something. It also might be a teacher who might not be very comfortable kind of like opening the doors all the way in order to invite you into to teaching versus when I go to the neon moon tarot, and I see this very like quirky kind of eccentric to me. It looks like a very like professor Trelawney character from um, Harry Potter where she has all of like this knowledge, all this experience. You can even see she has like a third eye there in the center and she's also outside. And so this character is really going to be taking you with them and getting like this knowledge and experience like in the field versus again, we're going to go to the interstellar tarot. And so the interstellar tarot is actually the, um, from the tarot that I'm currently uh, drawing right now. And when I look at the interstellar tarot and like my thoughts for creating it was having this alien being here and they are, they have their astronaut human followers that are, you know, waiting for the wisdom they have kind of put onto this alien figure like all of like the robes and adornment that like we traditionally have but what I'm really doing here with this card is I really want to question why we are giving this figure its authority like what are its sources like what is like where did it study and things like that because whenever I had originally had the idea for this card I love watching alien conspiracy documentaries and stuff and so whenever I was watching one, there's the scientist and he was like, I don't think aliens are more advanced than us. He was like, I think that the reason why they have space travel is because like they have an element that's just abundant on their planet. That's that makes it easy for them. And he was like, and the reason why they only observe us and they don't contact us is because, you know, we have had to engineer our resources in order to like, really like make what we have here happen. And I was like, oh my God, like, I mean, if I'm in an alien, like, yes, how do you do this? What, you know, how do you have all of this knowledge and power? But whenever he said that, I was like, yeah, like, let's really like take into, into consideration. And if you have a really great teacher, if you ask them questions, if you challenge their sources, they're really going to welcome that. They're not going to shy away from it. And so that's really like what I'm kind of like asking to do whenever we see this hierophant character in this card. 
Yeah. So the Hierophant character, I feel like people find it problematic because they assume that this means like the patriarchy or, you know, the Catholic church or whatever it is. But when these cards were initially, you know, created in the early 1400s, the church was a pathway to learn how to read. The church was a pathway to understand what was going on in the community and learn knowledge that you didn't have access to. Um, so for example, in the Rider Waite Tarot, we see the main figure, he has this, his three fingers pointing upward. We see that echoed in the Vendor Tarot. We see it echoed in the Interstellar Tarot. And this is like half of the as above, so below. So think of him as channeling that higher knowledge directly down into the Acolytes. If we zoom in on the Vendor Tarot, which is my current favorite tarot deck, we can see that this figure is offering, you know, apple, the fruit of knowledge. In Christian mythos, this is going to be the forbidden fruit of knowledge. Um, or we can just think of it as like a, an apple that you would give to Mrs. Honey. Um, but essentially, we have to say, like, what are they offering us? Who is this figure who's giving us this knowledge, right? In the Christian mythology, um, this would be the snake on the tree. So often that snake is interpreted as Satan. So what are, like, really, like, what are we learning here? And then um, I think in the Bible, not that I read this a lot, um, but I think the snake is quoted as saying, like, if you eat of this, you'll learn the difference between good and evil. If you eat of this, like, you'll become equal to the gods. Um, so, you know, the apple could be referenced, like a reference to your, your morality. It could be a reference to how you judge other people. There's just a lot there. And if you, if you take a peek at these different types of portrayals, it's just like a different flavor of that same energy. Yeah, and so with all of that being said and what we just did here, how do we even begin to interpret the many faces of tarot? Well, for me and my art and my tarot practice, I feel like they're very intertwined because for me, interpreting the meaning of the cards is much the same as when I interpret a piece of art because, I mean, in reality, each card is its own piece of art. And we all have our moments when we can look at a certain card or deck and we get it. But for some decks, it does take time and you need to do a little bit more practice and exploring to see the story that's really being told. And so when you're practicing tarot, when you're looking at a new deck or just studying up on the interpretations, both Elisa and myself like to incorporate a few key concepts. And the first is pick a deck. Yes. So this I feel like is one of the most difficult things for people because there's a myth that you can't buy your first deck. Um, it has to be gifted to you, whatever. And then there's also the idea that it has to be the Rider Waite Smith. So it doesn't necessarily have to be. I think that you should strive to gain as much knowledge as possible about tarot as a whole, but I think you can really start with any deck that you can read. And when I say read, I really mean like the, have the ability to infer information from the art itself. It's nice to have a beautiful deck, but if you have a beautiful deck that you can't read, it's just going to turn, you know, into something that you put in a frame on your wall or that you have to end up gifting to somebody else, um, or maybe use it as a bookmark like I do with some of my decks that I can't read. Uh, but it won't become the occult tool that you turn to when, you know, when you're feeling uncertain or when you really need insight and guidance. Um, and part of picking that deck is learning the lesson that there's things that are beautiful and then there's things that are beautiful that you can still use. Um, so once you have the deck, it's time to interview it. So when I'm working with a new deck, I go through it card by card and I really kind of either note or write down my initial interpretation, like regardless of outside influences. So not in comparison to the writer Wade Smith, not in comparison to that modern tarot book I just read. I just like, what does the art say to me? What feeling does it immediately evoke? Um, for example, in the Ethereal Visions Lovers card, I find that this card seems sacrificial. 
the woman is, you know, all of her colors are paler. She is like almost like laying down, like she's been stabbed. And the man has a much like stronger image. And so to me, it feels like someone in this relationship is losing. Like, you know, it's somebody who's choosing to stay home in, in support of somebody else's career. It's someone who's choosing to sacrifice a part of themselves to support someone else. And if we look at the two um, sun cards here in the ethereal visions sun, this woman is literally taking her joy and her fulfillment and using it to help other people. She's actively turning the sun towards the flowers. Whereas the sun and the sacerabito is like, we're burning you to a crisp. This is a truth you need to know. And it doesn't matter if it hurts. It doesn't matter if it hurts everybody and destroys your entire plan. This needed to be said. Um, so you can pull on your occult knowledge like I just did with the sun to assist with these personalized interpretations. But I find it also helps to imagine these figures as characters. Who are they? What are they doing? What are their motivations? Why are they holding this? What are they doing with this object? Um, and so once you kind of start to get in their mind, you'll start to understand the card a little bit better. Yeah, and I think, you know, the imagery is the first thing that we look at when we consider when we're first picking out a deck and deciding whether or not, whether or not it's even worth our time and buying or using it. But whether or not you're having that initial spark or that bond with your deck, I feel like these concepts can be of help in gathering information to begin figuring out what messages are in a card or even just what's going on. I know when I first read a deck, I do like to do this sort of an interview. And so this can look like different things to different people, but I think most of us can agree we do focus on that imagery. So you can start by laying out all of your major and minor arcana cards in order just to see the journey that's happening within it. I know that if I'm having particular difficulty with like a specific card, like I said, with the uh, three of pentacles and star spinner tarot, I will go and I'll grab the card from the Rider Waite Smith deck and I'll just place it above it. And I'll kind of do like compare and contrast, you know, I'll ask myself a few questions about the cards, you know, what is the imagery that's standing out to me? What is that imagery saying? Is there a story that's being told? And in order to kind of pick out those things that are happening, what you really want to look for are the colors, the texture, the size. You want to look at the card as a whole and the composition, how everything's interacting with each other. If there are figures in it, look at their expressions, look at their clothing. What are they wearing? What are they not wearing? Where are they facing? Uh, you can also look at the flora and fauna if there are animals or uh, uh, flowers, foliage interacting with it as well. And so with all of these concepts in mind and thinking about a story that can be presented to us, I want to look at the four of wands here. And so when I look at the four of wands, I have these three key concepts that I have right here, celebration, success, and stability. And so I see in the Rider Waite Smith tarot with that in mind, stability, there are these four wands that are shooting up out of the ground. They're also holding on this like giant, like wreath and bouquet of like flowers. And it looks like there might even be like some grapes or something on the vine. I look further into the image here. There are these two figures. They're brightly colored. They have brightly colored clothing. They're waving these like, you know, abundant bouquets. It looks like they're looking at me. They're facing me. They're ushering me into this card. And they're very happy, it seems. There's also, if you look even further down into the bottom left, there's people. Looks like they're either congregating or they're dancing. But this is very, this is very happy. There's definitely a celebration going on here. We see stability in the wands. We see stability in the fact that there's a castle wall 
in the background as well, but it looks like we're on the outside of that. And so not only do we feel safe within our walls, but we feel safe coming out as well. Like there's definitely like a warmth and there's just like this whole like joy associated with this card. And so if we do the same thing with the Four of Wands and the Wanderer's Tarot, well, it's going to be the four feathers in this one, in, in this case. So we have these four feathers. Three of them are grouped up at the top. They're touching each other. There's also a candle that's burning. There's like some rays shooting out of it. Um, and they're actually, those rays are touching a couple of the other feathers. And so they're getting that warmth. They're getting that, that light that's associated with that candle. But then we have one feather that's kind of separate from the others. It's a little maybe fallen at the wayside when I first look at it. And so when I see this and I'm starting to kind of create a story around it, thinking of celebration, success, and stability, is this feather, is it wanting to come into this gathering? Is the feather mirroring the unseen us, the viewer in the Rider White Tarot? Or is this feather not as interested? Was Did it used to be with the other feathers and it's kind of like not so sure anymore? And so we can kind of like really look and do like a compare contrast like this when we're looking at a new deck and we can really just start trying and like infer meaning and like what could be going on with these concepts in mind. And so with all that being said, let's practice. And so feel free if anyone wants to raise their hand, if you want to kind of run through these two cards, similar to what I just did with the four of wands, we would also love if, um, Y'all want to participate by just like popping your thoughts into the chat or something, and we'll read those aloud as well. Uh, we have some questions here uh, to help y'all uh, guide you through if you're a little unsure, as well as a few of those key concepts down at the bottom. Well, if no one wants to jump in real fast, I would like to take everyone just take a minute and I would like everyone to see if they can notice the similarity between these two figures and the ones that we looked at in the double, at least on the, the Rider Waite card. That always stood out to me. Yeah, one of my first impressions, um, just when comparing the two is, um, you know, in the Rider Waite, you have these two figures and there's the, what I'm always drawn to with the lover's card is the space in between the two. Um, and so what you have in the Rider Waite is like this sort of angelic or godlike, or even like in the hair and stuff makes me think of like a natural force of nature or something um, that sits between them. But the star spinner, the space between is like love. And you have these lines that represent this reciprocity um, that doesn't necessarily feel as a parent in the Rider Waite deck. Um, whereas, you know, the Rider Waite to me speaks to like about two forces being driven together or like serendipitously brought together, um, again, by something existing outside. The Star Spinner really is like this interpersonal connection, almost like strings drawing them together. Um, that's my first impression when I compare the two. No, oh, I love it. And we have, uh, so in the chat, Megan says, another Megan, uh, the star spinner tarot looks like they are caught in a whirlwind. The hair movement suggests air, which for me reads as being swept up into something like maybe things have moved fast or it feels like they're out of control a little bit. Um, I can totally see that. 
And then Lori says, in the writer way, the figures are noticing each other and they are waiting on fate, the observing angel, to decide how they will get on together. I've, I've never seen it that way and I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I really thank y'all so much for um, putting that in there. I really love both of those, uh, both of those thoughts. Oh my gosh. Um, I do want to talk about with the uh, Star Spinner Tarot, um, because of like, for me there, there's like definitely a duality that's happening. Like, I totally like, I, I see what Megan was saying, where like, they're both being swept up. Like, they're definitely like, they're looking down, like their focus is in like, in that heart center there. You know, like, I feel like they're definitely in it together. Benita says the female and the, uh, I'm assuming the Rider Waite is looking at the angel and the male is looking at her. That's something that always stood out to me in the Rider Waite too. I've always kind of interpreted it as a, not as, not as positive, positive a card as it could be, but to me, the male's, uh, like his expression is weird and stalkerish and angry. And I always felt like he was looking at the woman, like, I'm going to get you. And she's looking up at the angel, like, what the hell? And like <laughs> asking for guidance or like protection or something. So when Kirsten pointed out the space, I was like, God, that's there, <laughs> you know? But yeah. Yeah. I really, I know for me personally, I, whenever I look at the right or weight for me, I don't think any figure is looking at the other. Cause to me, it's like the man is looking at the woman. The woman is looking at the angel. The angel is looking down at the man. And so for me, there's like this whole, like, you know, there's like a circle of like everybody waiting on the other. And like, for me, it's like, well, what are you waiting on? You know, like, uh, the comparison between like, you know, both the people waiting on fate, um, that someone had dropped into the chat earlier. So I love that comparison so, so much. That was good. Yeah. I do want to focus on um, just expanding, like, you know, how important it is to have like these different lovers cards because in the Star Spinner Tarot, it actually comes with four different lovers cards for you to choose from. And I just think that that's so amazing. Um, and so that was the main thing where I wanted to include it in the talk today. I, I got the deck maybe about a month ago. And when I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh. And I also want to highlight how important it is that the artist didn't just copy and paste four different couples on the same background. There are four different backgrounds here with four different couple, for four, with four different couples for us to really start and like create like different stories. So it's not going to be the same thing every time. Like these are like legit four different cards, which is going to lead us into. Before you move past the lovers, I have a question really quick. Mm -hmm. I love that you brought this up because inclusion and in tarot is something that is such a relevant topic. And I'm only asking this because I know that you, Megan read with the, uh, the Neo tarot anyway. Um, would you like to speak for a second about the lover's card and the Neo tarot? Do you remember? Yeah. yeah. And so the lover's card in the uh, Neo tarot, and I think we might have it in a slide that's further down at the end. Okay, cool. But so with the lover's card in the Neo tarot, it's very similar. And I'm going to go back a slide. Um, it's very similar to the Rider Waite Smith tarot, except for it's very modern in design. It's very minimal, very clean, flat colors. The, heat, the figures that are depicted in it, though, are both appear to have breasts. One appears to maybe, the, I will say the, the genitals are ambiguous. 
but there are definitely like in terms of inclusion there, it looks like that again, like it's very ambiguous. And I will say that with the, the thing that I love about the Neo Terror in general is that all of the characters there, you can't tell if any of them really subscribe to like a gender binary at all. And I think that that's one of the things that they also mirror in the lover's tarot in the Neo Tarot or the lover's card in the Neo Tarot is that none of these characters are subscribing to a traditional gender binary. They really leave it up to the viewer to really kind of um, make those assumptions for themselves and uh, make it relate to them. Wow. Thank you for speaking to that because one of the things in the tarot is like um, sometimes it relies really heavily on masculine and feminine delineations. And so I love that Neo Tarot breaks out of that and is like, let's explore inclusions of trans identity. Let's just have pure androgyny throughout the deck. Um, and so mm -hmm. speaking to that. That's awesome. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so with all these concepts in mind and like really like looking at these cards in this way, we're going to really start to analyze these cards. And what we're doing here is we're just going a step further into our interviewing process. And we're really going to start actually like creating these narratives within these cards. And so just asking yourself what the card is saying to you and you're going to consider those traditional meanings, but you're also going to figure out how that relates to your own intuition. And so there are many different factors to consider. And so for example, the placement of a card in a spread, as well as your own personal life experiences. And this goes hand in hand with interpreting the symbols of the cards. Cause even though there might be a traditional meaning of a salamander that's connected to the element of fire, you might have your own experience connected to salamanders and the element of fire. And so you also want to start thinking about how do you see this card manifest in your everyday life? And for me in my practice, this is one of the most important things I look for when I explore a card is how can I apply it? How can I bring it to practical use? And if I were to see this card, what would it look like if it was a person or a situation? What would it look like if I encountered this card on the street in my friend group or even in my home. And so by this I mean, so when I talk about the Knight of Cups, for example, I interpret the Knight of Cups to have to do with those concepts of romance, passion, grand gestures, and idealism. And so I might think about a person or an action that is over the top romantic, maybe a bit rash. And how would I see this person manifest in my everyday life? Um, I also like to pull on like pop culture references or just like references in general to really help me um, deepen the connection with the cards. So with the Knight of Cups, I think of this person as like a Ted Mosby from How I Met Your Mother. And so he does all these over the top grand romantic gestures, which depending on the person, they're like, they're so thoughtful and adorable. But more often than not, like his whole like quirk is, you know, that they fall flat and, you know, for me, it's because he's never really thinking about like the other person. And so when I think about that and I look at the star spinner tarot and I see this like traditionally like chivalrous dressed person, the whole card is blue. It's very moody. He's turned inward to himself. He's really looking at himself and his own cup. He also has like this really like red, like, ornate like grand plumage on his head and it's it's red so there's like some passion there it's also a feather so it's light a little bit flighty it's not very grounded 
And then also I see this huge ass fucking dagger on his hip, like almost center frame. Like, what is that about? And so like when I see that and I think of all these things like this, you know, this idealized romantically dressed person and they're doing all of these like grand romantic passionate gestures for someone else or he thinks that they're for someone else, but they're really for him. What's going to happen when this person's love is unrequited? What is, what is this person going to do with this dagger? It doesn't even look sheath. And it's like on his hip at the ready. Why, why do they need that? I don't know. And so, but you can kind of like start inferring meanings whenever you compare characters like that. <laughs> um, but when I think about like that Ted Mosby character with like those great romantic gestures and I look at the Neo Tarot and I see there's this person here, they're riding in gallantly on their steed. They have their cup presented. They're like holding it out and they're also looking off of the card. And you can see in the, um, in like the bottom right part, there's like this blue shape. It looks like it could be a river. And so they're definitely like looking across that river at someone. And so when I see that, I see like that Ted Mosby character, like throughout the whole series, he's like, I have to find her. Like I have to find my wife, I have to get to her. And so like, this is someone who is going to be doing whatever they can to get to that other person. I do also want to say, whenever we talk about inferring meanings too, we don't know how that, how big that river is. So depending on the placement of the card or where it is in a spread, is this going to be a long journey? Is there a reason why this river is so big or this river is so small? Is it going to be really hard to cross? We don't know, but we can also kind of start and pull elements that could potentially even be not in the image of the card that we see, like in, like things, uh, imagery that is inferred by uh, certain things, elements within the card. Yeah. So when I look at the, like the Knight of Cups, I immediately think of like the stereotypical YA protagonist who like arrives to school late with like a leather jacket and they have like a book in their pocket and like they don't listen to the school dress code, you know. Um, but like which protagonist really depends on the placement of the card, how it's interacting with the other cards. Um, so like sometimes in particular with, with this spread that we have, we have four of the Knight of Cups. Three of them are presenting a cup and then we have the star spinner who's like, this is my cup. It was so amazing. Why did no one like appreciate my cup? And so that specifically makes me think of the male protagonist from um, that show You, which is like very obsessive, murdery, um, just a huge stalker-esque vibe. Um, but I also feel like the Knight of Cups is a good like timeline card. So if we think about the cups in particular, you know, this is a very... It could be fast, it could be slow, but overall, like it goes where it wants to go on its own timeline. And the cups represent this sort of like fulfillment, this creative aspiration. So I also think of this as someone who has a long journey, but they are willing to understand that they have to kind of learn to enjoy the everyday or they're not going to get where they want to go in the long term. So um, especially like with the modern witch tarot, you know, she's very punky. She's like, this is who I am. This is how I'm going to show up. I'm going to get where I want to go. And it doesn't really matter who gets in my way. But at the end of the day, like she needs to go at a slower pace in order to make sure that she's actually enjoying the fight for what she's for what she wants. Um, but now that we've talked about this, kind of gone over these, let's practice one more time. Uh, so this is going to be the two of pentacles. Jump in whenever you want. We've kind of already discussed how to pop in the chat and whatnot. But 
I think it's pretty interesting that, you know, the cat tarot has two treats at the bottom and yet still two pentacles in the air. What could that mean? Um, don't, and don't forget to look at the, uh, the colors too. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts? Hmm. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna start a little bit and if people, uh, feel free to chime in as I'm, as I'm just talking here. Um, and so whenever I first look at the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot, and I think of like multitasking and balance. And so you have this like juggler, this performer who he has both of these pinnacles here and, you know, he's obviously juggling them. Maybe he, there's this infinity symbol, which is implying that either he can do this all day, like this is nothing to him. And you can even kind of look at his expression and he's, a, he might be a little bored because, you know, he's just so either good at what he does or, you know, maybe he's just like over it, who knows. Mm -hmm. um, but it also could imply that this person might not have a choice, but to be going all day. And we also see that, you know, he has one foot in the air, he might be a little off balance, he's like definitely leaning in the card. And we think and we can see that off balance, maybe even mirrored in the back of the card with like the waves, like Rory. Got a comment in the chat from Megan. Uh, she says the Rider Waite card has a look of boredom and the cat, however, looks very playful. Lillian says the Rider Waite is juggling and there's two ships in the background. Yes. Yeah, and so if we wanna go off that even further, I really like the idea that there's, especially in the cat tarot, we see there's a focus on like these two pinnacles, but there is something else that's being ignored in both of the cards. Mm -hmm. Does anyone want to chime in on that? Lori says, in the Rider Waite, the figure is juggling two very good options. He has two potentially rewarding paths he can go down, and he is at a crossroads where it is time to choose which path he'd like to try. So I, I love the breakdown of the Rider Waite. How do you guys think that the cat tarot interpretation changes any of those feelings? The biggest difference I noticed between the two is like that the, you know, Megan, I love that you pointed out the infinity symbol and the rider weight. And then with the cat tarot, that, that line is broken. Um, it's like a string that's being dangled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you said like, it's like a string being dangled because now we have on a grander scale, like someone is dangling that in front of him. Right, so that could change it. Carrie says the cat tarot is two small fish being ignored, possibly a dying opportunity. Woo, yes, harsh. But, <laughs> uh, and Lori says uh, the cat tarot. The cat has a reward in his pocket; he can get it whenever he'd like. The cat chooses to go after the more challenging reward. Ooh, yes, both of those. Yes, um, and something Megan and I were discussing too is that bag that's discarded near the treats. It looks pretty much like the strange juggler's hat in the Rider Waite. So I also think that's interesting. Like he's thrown off the, like this title or this role that he's supposed to be assuming. And he's like, this is who I am. Yeah. And I really, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that again, because I know like the, one of the last two concepts that we want to talk to y'all about today and while, and why I'm really glad that you're saying that the, the red bag kind of mirrors uh, the juggler's hat is because we want to consider the human filter whenever we're looking at the cards. 
And so by this, what I mean is that, you know, depending on, I mean, not depending, any deck that you are reading from, an actual person is behind creating that visual story that you're trying to infer that meaning from. And so you want to ask, like, who is the artist that illustrated this deck? Is this their first deck? Um, are they a tarot reader? Which is kind of what, you know, maybe the person, I'm, I'm not familiar with the cat tarot, but maybe that person is a tarot reader. You know, maybe they see that hat, maybe they've done their research, and maybe, you know, they're trying to mimic that in their card because they're so familiar with it. Um, you want to also ask, you know, if they worked with an author, if they're partnered with an author at all. Um, and you want to ask those same questions about the author as well. You know, if they have done a deck before, if they practice tarot, you might even want to um, and ask like what their writing style or art style is outside of tarot. I know I can speak for myself. My tarot deck is not like my art style outside of tarot. And so people, you know, it, it does infer a lot of stuff for me. My tarot deck is about fun and quirk versus like my art practice, which is a little more, you got to dive a little deeper maybe. Um, but the other, and in my, in my opinion, the biggest thing you also want to look at when um, you're, you're looking at the human filter is, is this an indie deck or are they working with a publisher? Because when you work with a publisher, there are a lot of different people like designers and editors that authors um, and artists have to collaborate with and answer to versus if it's just like a self-published indie deck and the artist or author has like total control of the creative process. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and just researching that will really add to your practice. So like learning that the artist of the deck is a practitioner, um, it allows me to see that the artist also goes to these same symbols in art for guidance and insight. Um, and it also, to me, makes the reading of the cards much easier. So like, for example, the creators of the Vendor, Line Strider, and the Sassara Beto Tarot decks all practice tarot on their own. And you can see that in their, interpret in, in their portrayals. Um, so for example, in the Eight of Cups and the Sassara Beto Tarot, you don't need to know anything about tarot to know that it's talking about moving on and leaving things behind because the woman chopping off all of her hair. It just, you, we all know what that means. Like, it's just intuitive. We, that's gotta go. Um, but if I recall correctly, the creator of the true black tarot is not a tarot reader. And so his interpretations, though beautiful and amazing and, and wildly full, require so much more of the conscious mind and the memorization of his own little booklet in order to get the full perspective of the card. Mm -hmm. Carrie says, um, I have a general question about interpreting meaning from the cards. I always rely on my book to understand my cards and feel this sense of should around memorizing meanings. Yes, we are going to go into that next, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so um, thinking, I'm just going to really quick, I'm going to wrap this up and then we'll go into that. Mm -hmm. um, but So when we think about this filter, just keep that in mind that in some cases a card will go through at least three to four different filters of interpretation before that deck lands in your hand. And then you have a chance to add on your own unique filter as a reader. And then that's where we get to the whole point in this process that, in my opinion, is the greatest thing about reading tarot and about enjoying art in general is that once you have that foundation of knowledge about just a few key concepts behind a piece or a card, the rest is really up to your own filter and experiences to fill in the blanks and find like what makes sense and is relevant for you. And I know like as an artist and as like, you know, an artist who is going to potentially have, you know, a tarot deck in the hands of people, 
I have to be okay with the reality that my filter, my hopes, dreams, intent for all of the work that I put into a canvas or card is at the mercy of the filter of the person who was looking at it or reading one of my decks. And as scary as that may sound, it is one of the most beautiful things about art and being a creator in general and why I love tarot is because we are creating art in this form of a product, but we are intentionally putting our stuff out into the world for it to be used in partnership with another person that we've never met in order to create a story. And so with that in mind, the last thing we want to talk to you today is that tarot takes time. Uh, sorry if you guys heard my cat having a sneezing attack. I apologize. <laughs> Thank you for giving me the grace. We're all at home. This is his home too. Um, but <laughs> moving on. <laughs> so tarot isn't static. I, I think it's important to remember that you have inherent biases and flaws and limitations. And so your deck is going to grow as you do. As you gain life experiences, you're going to like learn a lot more about each card and the character and what they would, what they're going through. And just like what they're willing to do. Um, but with all that said, it's also okay to read tarot in a really relaxed manner. You don't have to analyze every brushstroke on every card in order to fully get the meaning. Um, we just, we just want to make sure that you are open to different types of interpretations so that you never stagnate in your practice. Yeah. And, um, I do want to go off too, because I, I mentioned it a little bit, but I know I can speak personally that um, to go with the question that was answered a little bit ago, even though like we talked about the Hierophant and how I was like, oh, these are like all my ideas behind the Hierophant and like questioning your sources. And even if that is, you know, even if that makes sense, the booklet and stuff, if someone doesn't even bother with the booklet and they read that card and they're like, ooh, this is like higher wisdom and knowledge from like a universal standpoint or however they want to interpret it, that's completely fine and valid. Like, you know, those are their own experiences that show them that like this card is, is what you make it basically. And because tarot taps into all these different human archetypes. And even though there are those concepts that many of us will go through, I mean, we experience them differently and there can be many different interpretations, meanings and applications of the cards, depending on numerous factors in a reading but it can just take time to bond with your deck. So don't get discouraged if you have to take this extra time and research to really get to know your deck because it's all a process. It's just really important to make it your process. I mean, I can't tell you how many cards I've worked with when one day under the right circumstances or something had happened recently in my life that the meaning of a card just completely changes or really just clicks with me. And I think that's one of the greatest things about tarot is it's interconnected nature. And I mean, it just, it changes and it changes as we do. So I really, I'll jump in real quick because we have 10 minutes left. And just to like more directly answer the question about interpreting uh, like the should you meaning, uh, I don't think that you should do anything when it comes to tarot. Um, I often tell people to learn the cards on their own before they do a lot of researching. That way they're not um, kind of memorizing things and not developing a connection. If you have an intuitive understanding about what a card means, that's what it means to you. And that's what makes you a different reader than other people. That's why people are going to go to you for your interpretation of that card than anything else. And you also have to look at it on a grander scale. If I go to Megan for a reading and Megan chooses one of her 80 tarot decks, not that she has 80, <laughs> and that specific card comes up in that specific way. And Megan says, it's that specific thing. It was supposed to be said to me that way. Um, and then when it comes to Lori asked, you know, how do we feel about inverted cards? I love inverted cards. I don't think inverted cards are evil. I think that they are so helpful and it just shows a different 
a different expression on the face of the card. Um, Megan, what are your thoughts? Um, I mean, I love inversions. I personally, I don't read inversions, but we've kind of, um, as we've gone through and like kind of just made discussions and stuff for like this, uh, this presentation, I know like I have said like a few interpretations and I know Lisa has chimed in like, oh, like I associate that with the inverted version of like how you would interpret something. And so, I mean, I think inversions are valid if you can read them, you know, definitely do. I personally don't, I know Elisa does. And so, I mean, we have two people who, one person who does, one person who doesn't. And I think for the most part, you know, we have like these general concepts here that I think we can all agree on, um, just like at a base, like writer weight uh, knowledge standpoint mm -hmm. when we approach the cards. And also inversions uh, is just another choice. Like if you don't want to do it, don't do it. This is your practice. Yeah, 100%. Um, I know I would love to end uh, the presentation really quick, just about just a general story about like how tarot can take time and just really trusting your intuition when it comes to tarot. Um, I know a few years ago uh, when I was unemployed, uh, it seemed like every time I was doing a reading for myself, uh, I would pull up six of pentacles. And at the time for me, I was interpreting this card as like reciprocity and either me being generous with my money or someone else being generous towards me with their money. But the thing is, my intuition was telling me that I was the person who needed to be generous. And for me, I was like, how? I have no money. I cannot help anybody right now. Like, I was like, that's just really impossible. And like after weeks, literal weeks of consistently pulling this card, I finally like just sat down with it. I can't tell you how long I sat down with it, but like I just, I was there and I was really studying and I was like, okay, finances, money, resources, like what can I offer here? And then like, that's when it had just finally clicked with me that even though I didn't have money, which is a highly valued resource to give, I realized that I did have time. And that time was like another valued resource that like I am able to contribute for people. And so now whenever I work with the pinnacles, I always include time as well as money and finances whenever I consider resources that are involved in this. And I always think back to if I had questioned my intuition and I just sat at home waiting for an opportunity to appear for someone to, you know, bestow their generosity with me. I would still be sitting there today, 100%, um, but I never would have went out and I never would have volunteered at the places that I did. I ended up volunteering um, at a gallery where I'm now co-director at, and that would have never happened had I just stuck with the traditional meaning and what I had thought that the card was, which was all about money, all about finances, and I never just expanded on that. And not that we're all going to have like these revelations with the tarot that end in the specific way. But my point is, if you have a card that's really challenging your current beliefs or interpretations, get creative with it. Don't try and make it fit into any preconceived notions. Like if you're pulling a card about money and finances and it doesn't have anything to do with that, don't try and make it fit into that, like, you know, that inherent narrative that you want. Um, just really break that card down and expand on it because tarot is really old and it's always changing. So it really does need to change with us. And um, yeah, so I think our hope for today is that y'all will walk away with these practical tools that will really help you get better acquainted with those beautiful decks that, you know, either you've bought to read, but maybe you opened it and you had some difficult time connecting. So now it's just sitting on your shelf gathering dust 
Um, I would love for y'all to take these concepts and kind of bring those decks off the shelf, maybe put them into use, or maybe you just apply these things to your future decks. Um, yeah, but I think, let me see, how are we on time? Yeah, if anyone wants to ask any questions, we'd love to invite y'all to do that now. Yeah. If not, we have a couple more practice slides. Mm -hmm. We can just kind of run through if we want as well. Oh, no, thank you, Benita. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Benita. I have a quick question. Um, if you have a deck that you don't connect with, what would you recommend doing with it? I, uh, I've had several decks that I thought were beautiful and I, you know, they're indie decks. So I've got them on Kickstarter. You can't really mess with them before you get them. And I tried to connect with them for, you know, you know, a few months and then sooner or later I would just shelf them. And then when I met the right person that I thought would be perfect for them, I would gift the decks. So, um, for example, I gifted the golden thread tarot to my husband because he's absolutely obsessed with its geometric nature. Um, I had a, a red deck where all of the phrases were in French and I have a niece who is obsessed with that, very artistic. She wants to get in tattoos. It was the same style that she's into. I was like, oh my God, take this. This is for you, obviously. Um, so just making sure to kind of like try it out, but you shouldn't force yourself or feel guilty if you don't connect. Yeah, and I'll say, I mean, just doing that extra research too. I mean, I so I just got the Star Spinner Tarot and I had pre-ordered it months ago. And so I didn't get to really look at it or the cards um, before I got it. And so I know whenever I first pulled this card out, the cup suit is super dark. And so like when you go and um, you kind of like look at it. So I, I did some more research on the Star Spinner Tarot. One, because, you know, the four lovers cards, like that's just gorgeous. and I love it. And so I did more research on it. And so the cuffs suit is really dark because what he's doing there and when you line them all out, like uh, when you line all of the cards out, like on the table, which is something I would definitely recommend doing is if you're having trouble uh, really reading a card or just a deck in general is just to lay them all out and see what's happening. But he literally illustrated the uh, story of the little mermaid and it's the dark one it's the original one in the cup suit. And so like each card is like, there are like glimmers of hope and stuff, but each card is like very tragic. And you even get to like the 10 of cups or like the nine of cups. And it's just like, Ooh, it's heart wrenching. I know I had my husband, he pulled the, um, the 10 of cups and the star spinner tarot and he didn't know any of this stuff. And so he interpreted it and he's like not a tarot reader or anything. So I was a little proud of him for this. But, you know, he interpreted it as being, you know, like, you know, having to do with like connection and family and like really like broadening that and like being fulfilled versus like, because I also knew that it was like the story of the Little Mermaid. I was like, oh my God. I was like, but that's not her getting married. Like, and she's like not there right now. Like, you know, and so it's really just like, if you are having trouble, like there are some people like my husband in that moment, he was like, yeah fulfillment and family like I got this but I like I had to go and do more research because I was like this does not connect with me even as a reader who like I know what the writer weight you know kind of like has to do with I was like this doesn't feel like family and fulfillment for me like true family and fulfillment I was like there's still something missing here and so yeah if I'm ever struggling like I'll just do a little more research I'll definitely lay all the cards out there's also like times where I understand a card and I still hate it so like, for example, in the Way Home Tarot, which has some beautiful, like, some beautiful art, uh, their Queen of Swords is literally a woman in a high bun 
filled with icicles. And I, I was like, so you're saying someone who like a woman who's logical, a woman who you know says how it is, she's an ice queen? Like that's a little sexist of you. And so like I I get it. I just hate it. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Kirsten, did you want to? Yeah, so we have a question in the chat. Um, I presently practice with an Orisha Tarot deck. It's my first deck and I loved it. In addition, I'm thinking of incorporating a second deck. How long would you suggest incorporating new decks with your practice? Forever, always, always get new decks. You're gonna change. Your aesthetic is going to change alone, you know, like Megan and I were just talking about if we look at our decks, there is a very heavy theme <laughs> and we just happen to gravitate towards the same types of art. Um, but you should always be adding stuff to your practice because if not, um, I just feel like you're going to miss out on something. You're going to, you're not going to not, not be as motivated though. I totally buy gym clothes when I don't want to go to the gym, but um, it, it's just, you shouldn't shut that down. It should always be an option. Yeah, I think it also just really helps to incorporate more, more cards. I really hope that, you know, one of the things that y'all will take away is that, I mean, you can look at the four of wands here, is that like, there is a different story that can be told in each of these cards. And so like the more decks that you have, the more stories that you can tell, I feel is really just, I mean, I will say in my opinion, it might be the basis of like a well-rounded practice, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and it's also really fun to have a lot of decks and to play with them. I mean, it's just, you know, for example, like the neon moon tarot, if you, you can look at the neo tarot and the, and the neon moon tarot, I have both of these decks, both very different styles, but they're like very like limited color palettes still. They're both very flat but there are, there are definitely different vibes that are happening. And I just love that. Like I can pull out one deck and I'm like, this is going to be like a party get stuff done vibe. And then I can pull out the other and I'm like, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to work through some stuff. And that's a really good point. Like there are some decks where um, it's kind of like I would use them in a certain scenario, but I wouldn't use them in other times. Like uh, what's that one where it's like the seventies girl vibes, a lot of nudity, a lot of underwear, I wouldn't use that if I was reading for like a kid <laughs> or if I was reading for somebody who seemed like really uptight and they did not want any nudity. Um, like in the cat tarot, I have to be careful who I use that with because in the hanged man, it's a, just, there's just a cat's butthole right on the card, just right in the center stage. And I'm like, wow, if I, if I give someone a serious reading with that card, that's not going to go well. So you have to kind of be careful um, and that they just have different vibes and it, the more decks you have like you'll see which decks really push your practice which ones you have to be like oh my god let me let me sit for a minute give me 30 seconds to just look at this and which decks feel like home and you're like oh god did done done I didn't even need to look at all the cards it just says it all to me right now yeah I love that mm -hmm. and you know we've talked about this a lot before Elisa um, how to use certain decks and uh, Megan, I think I shared with you as soon as I got my Cosmic Woman Tarot in. Um, and, you know, I was just, I had really decided to just devote to Neo Tarot. I was like, I'm going to work my way through this. I'm not going to get another deck. And then I did get another deck. And so what I did is when my Cosmic Woman came in, I just asked, like, what, what function will you serve in my life? And when I, um, I drew a card and it was the Hierophant. And so for me, it was like, when you need that wisdom, when you're really needing that cosmic touch in, 
this is how you'll use me. So don't be afraid to ask your deck too, you know, like what function will you, you know, be in my practice? Yeah, I think, thank you so much for saying that. Um, I think that's another really important part of the process when you're interviewing your deck is to literally interview it. Um, If y'all follow uh, Indie Deck Review on Instagram, they literally do reviews of Indie Decks and they'll post. So what they'll do is like they'll shuffle the deck card and they'll ask their deck these questions and they'll pull their cards. So they'll like put the question that they answered the card that they pulled. And I just think that that's really cool and really amazing and beautiful. So definitely, you know, practice with that as well with your deck. Like literally like when you interview it, ask it what this ask what the deck is going to do for you and just go off of that. And um, again, Indie Deck Review, they have some really good questions. I know whenever I review a deck, sometimes I'll hop on their Instagram and see like what they ask because they don't always ask the same questions. Um, But yeah, that's a really good, really good insight. Thank you, Kristen. And a really good resource. Indie Deck Review is amazing. Right. Yeah. Any other questions? Well, if there are no more questions, um, we can go ahead and wrap up. Let me see. Yeah. Um, if you have questions that come to you after this, uh, feel free to reach out. Um, Megan, Elisa, how can we connect with you all? Tell us how we can get to know you further and work with you. So you can find Coventry on Instagram at coventry.atl. You can also find it on our website, which is coventryatl.com. And then Megan and I also have our own personal Instagrams. Mine is at by Alisa Smith. That's A-L-I-S-S-A. And I believe Megan's is at Megan G. Castro. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Megan has one specifically for her tarot deck if you're really into aliens. What's that one? <laughs> uh, it's Interstellar Tarot. And so if you just look up, I think it's interstellar.tarot uh, on Instagram. You can uh, see what I'm doing there with my deck and everything. It has, I mean, astronauts, aliens. It even has a few dinosaurs in there too, which is really fun. Yeah, thank you for dropping mine in there, Lisa. No problem. I know that I'm very bad at remembering anything. Um, that's why I like journalism. I have to write everything down. So. <laughs> <laughs> You can find all, find all of their handles. Elise is putting that in the chat right now. Again, Coventry ATL. I think if you go to the website, you can also sort of spread out from there. Um, and you can get on the Insta and then see their personal Instas too. Um, Elisa is a tarot reader. Megan is a tarot reader. Um, they create this wonderful zine every month. Um, that's what Coventry is all about. So stay tuned for that resource. Um, if you liked, yeah, Laurie said, thank you for the presentation. Very informative. If you liked all that, Uh, the way it was presented and all that wonderful information. That's essentially what Coventry is doing is putting art and wonderful writing to um, this beautiful little zine and booklet so we can all learn more. So check out Coventry for sure. Um, Thank you all so much for being here. Keep joining us. Uh, Next Sunday, we have Brandon here. He's going to be talking a lot about sort of the spiritual impetus behind things like pandemics and the way that our world is shifting. So if you want to take basically everything that's happening in the physical world to the spiritual level, make sure to join us for that conversation next Sunday. Um, Thanks again for being here. Thank you, Elisa. Thank you, Megan. Love you so much. Um, Love what you're doing. And I hope everyone just goes and plays with their tarot deck and has just a wonderfully blessed Sunday. Uh, Thank you all so much. If you need anything, you know where to find us. Otherwise, uh, have a great day. Thank you all. 
This episode was produced by Kirsten Hedges and produced and edited by Georgie Harris. For more information, visit us at modernmysticshop.com and click on Sunday School.